Welcome to episode four of the Annie Centre podcast. My name is Justin Kingdon. And I'm Dr. Anne Chalfont. And in this episode, we will be discussing routines. We'll also be talking about how to talk to your children about the coronavirus. And I'm going to do a little bit of a movie review for a film called Ride Like a Girl. One mother, one mission. To create a world where families thrive. Dr. Anne Shalfand, internationally acclaimed clinical psychologist, family therapist, author, and mother of four children, brings you powerful and practical parenting techniques from her clinical and personal experience. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in the house. Okay, so the main topic for today is routines. Yes. Um, so, can you help define what do we, what do you mean by routines, and um, then we can go into a broader discussion about it. Sure. I have been very excited about doing this episode because I'm obsessed with routines and how beneficial they are to families. So, routines are basically doing the same thing in exactly the same way or at exactly the same time in exactly the same way. That's the simple definition of a routine. And routines are, I think, very underutilized and possibly undervalued in families these days Mm -hmm. and uh, definitely something that families could do more of to thrive. Because the common um, reason maybe for not doing a routine is that I'm too busy. Every day is just so busy that... As soon as I put a routine in place, it's all going to fall over anyway. Yes. Uh, so why should I bother then uh, putting the routine together or I'm just too busy to put a routine together? Mm-hmm. So that's a, like, that can be a common blocker or barrier for people to do a routine. It can be. So why should be, people be focusing on routines? Because it's, it's, it is critical, as I said, to helping families actually thrive. And I don't just say that because that's our motto in this podcast – but it really does allow families to find a flow, to get some order, to build skills in their children, not just routines in the sense of, uh, you know, a structured way of going about a task, but routines, and I want to talk about that um, in this episode a little bit, the value of a routine, even in children as young as toddlers or even from six months of age up, and the use <coughs> of the idea of a routine to actually teach early language skills or early cognitive skills or motor skills so they are so useful on so many levels not just to create order and a sense of calm and uh, build skills within children and teenagers but even from really really early development okay excellent so what is the uh, current problem uh, as you perceive it with routines and families I think, as you, as you alluded to, many families lack routine these days, and that's because uh, they feel stressed and overwhelmed. Mm. They're very busy. You know, when parents are working, for example, uh, either one or, or both parents, uh, if families are, you know, living with both parents, then they will say that they don't have time. They get home from work. Uh, they're just sort of hard-pressed enough to get some homework done for their with their kids or see that their children get some homework done, get dinner on the table and, and get children off to bed. And um, often people are chasing their tails through that 
evening cycle or through the morning routines or the morning time, morning period, um, and in seeing children complete other tasks like homework tasks, like practice for sport, like music practice if children are taking on a musical instrument, for Mm. example. So there's often a block to do with being time poor. People complain about not having enough time. Um, And that's a problem and it's a, a, a lack of routine is a problem because really all it does unfortunately is create more chaos people feel like they're chasing their tails constantly Mm. children particularly children and adolescents don't function well without routines we know from the scientific literature from the psychological literature that they function best when there is structure and order when they understand exactly what is happening next and with a routine being the same thing done in the same way maybe every day then children really need to rely on that in order to have an easy flow Mm. through their day and to feel a sense of calm and to then develop um, a sense of mastery Mm. over whatever skills they might be trying to embed into their routines. And what about uh, a routine in terms of then when uh, in the school year you'll have have events come up like uh, swimming carnivals, athletics carnivals, cross-country, the drama night... Do they uh, throw the routine out or how can you have, a, as you said, doing the, the same each day or, or on each day uh, and then you have those additional events? How do you not let something like that throw out the routine? The main way, um, you first need an established routine in order to then accept other changes to the norm, whatever that might be, whether it's because there's a carnival coming up to prepare for or the drama night or whatever night it might happen to be. Mm. Um, but when there's a routine in place that is uh, stuck to pretty consistently, then you can actually quite successfully introduce change. You can say that, you know, normally on Tuesday nights we do this ten- homework, for example, or we play a sport after school, whatever it might be, but tonight there's a change and you can introduce that change into the routine and children see it as a novelty. It's a one-off. They accept it as a one-off because they know what the normal routine is. When life is just, you know, kind of disorganized chaos or there's yep. no particular routine. Or every day feels like a fire drill. Yes, exactly. Right. Then those um, sort of spontaneous things that come up just, you know, kind of add more fuel, if you like, to the fire of what is the chaos of the household. Right. It doesn't um, sort of, you know, make it any better. What you really need always is an established routine that you can then demonstrate clearly for children where there is a change. And you can only show a change when there's a change from what is the existing, you know, established norm. So the established norm is always the first port of call. Same with introducing transitions into a children's schedule. You know, Mm. if you're trying to get them to shift, particularly I'm thinking of younger children now where parents or my clients will often complain that, you know, they can't get their child to pack away or Mm -hmm. they can't shift them from, for example, completing an evening task to the bedtime um, you know, the shift into the bedtime uh, routine or phase, mm. and how do they go about doing that? Well, even with transitions, you can create a routine around a transition. In preschools, they have things like pack away songs or particular music that they cue or a visual that they use, or maybe it's a little bell or something that they use and there's a little saying or a rhyme that goes with it to do with packing away or moving from one activity to the next. Perfect. And so- we do that from such a young age with children because we want to, from a very early age, teach them how to move through from one activity to the next so that by the time they're adults like us, we don't Mm. need a song or a bell or a visual cue. We know how to move with the flow of our own routine and we've hopefully had early experience at 
going through routine so we can establish our own independently once we are older. Right. So we might just need a, a strong coffee uh, between different <laughs> things. But okay, so there are several things you want to discuss uh, in today's episode. So um, why don't you uh, go about them? So I wanted to use the episode to highlight to families strongly the benefits of using routines. And there's 10 benefits that I've tried to boil it down to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really, you know, many, many, but to keep it simple. And in covering off on those benefits, what I want to try and do is touch on a couple of key periods in the day where routines are very helpful, Uh like the morning routine or morning time after school, so homework routines, um, the evening, bedtime routines, and the weekend and the value of having a weekend routine as well. So hopefully we'll cover off on all of those. And I've also just done a little video post for Facebook um, coming up on our Friday video post to do with the weekend routine as well, where I share our own family's weekend routine as a little bit of a template for people. So it's a big focus of mine at the moment because I really think it's one of the biggest factors in allowing families to organize themselves, bring calm, allow then time for connecting with kids for the fun, for the downtime, because there are clearly established routines in place that allow that to happen. Brilliant. So we'll go through the advantages and hopefully cover those within some examples. Let's start. Okay, so the first advantage is that routines anchor us. And what I mean by that is that they give us, as I've just mentioned, a flow to the day or a structure to follow where we see that one activity leads to the next, leads to the next. And there's a pattern or an order that we're completing, completing one task after another. And for children, because obviously the focus of this podcast is children and their families, for children and teenagers, when there's a clear pathway through the day, obviously that then allows them to operate more independently in following that pathway themselves with practice. So one really good example of that is the morning routine where hopefully families would have, and I would strongly encourage families to have a morning routine that looks something like um, children get up, they use the bathroom, they get dressed for school. Once they're dressed for school, they have some breakfast. Once they've had their breakfast, they you know, do their teeth, brush their hair, use the toilet again, perhaps. They make sure their bags are packed and then they make their way to school, whether that's by bus or car or walking or whatever it might be. And that every morning, the pattern or the order of those activities is exactly the same. Certainly in our household, that is the very routine that I've just shared mm. that we follow with our, with our four kids. Um, and the benefit of that is that it allows the children to flow easily through the morning without playing catch up or, you know, yelling out instructions from one end of the house to the other. Have you got this for school? It's time to brush your teeth now. Come to the breakfast table. Have you finished your breakfast? Okay, what do you need to do next? If you have a routine like the one I've just described, then children don't need those repeated instructions and parents not needing to give them don't feel frustrated by constantly giving instructions. So it takes the heat out of what can be a tricky situation with getting kids off to school in the morning and it allows children and parents to have an easier flow and a greater sense of calm. Mm, And I've noticed one of the things you do with that is uh, you can say, well, now you've had your breakfast, what's next? If they haven't quite gotten on to the next task and because they have done it repeatedly, they can move on. Yes, and I think that's an excellent point because in our family we have a four-year-old 
a six-year-old turning seven and a nearly 10-year-old, all of whom are at school. Hmm. And clearly the level of establishment of routine is different for each of them because they're at different stages in their development. Mm. So the four-year-old needs that kind of open-ended question-style prompt, okay, what's next? But that's enough to trigger for her what the next step of the routine is or as a little gentle reminder, okay, I need to do this next. I need to go and brush my teeth next or I need to pack my bag next. Whereas the nearly seven and nearly 10-year-old boys don't need that question anymore. They've been having the routine every morning for long enough that for them, they simply move through it. Mm. Um, And obviously the 10-year-old is better at it than the seven-year-old is better than the four-year-old. But that's very age appropriate Mm. as well. The idea is that what we're trying to do in repeating the same activities in the same order every day, which is what a routine is, we're trying to move them towards independence, that they can eventually do that themselves without the reminders. Excellent. So I can see the next one here is reduce stress, which is a nice segue from that. Exactly. So when there's order, as would make perfect sense, then there is less stress and less anxiety. There's less rushing around. There's less chasing tails. As I said, there's less stress for children in not really knowing what's going to happen next. What's the next instruction going to be? What do I need to remember? Um, All of that builds anxiety in children and it increases frustration for parents because they feel that the child is being slack um, whereas the child feels that they don't really know what's going on so it's kind of this um, perfect storm if you like of people not really knowing what should be done next and not what what should happen next Mm. um, which causes frustration so the point of a routine or one of the other benefits of a routine is that it reduces stress and it takes the heat out of that um, and it allows for calm and therefore for people to move more smoothly through. The next benefit is that it builds discipline. So in having that kind of order or consistency, the same activity in the same way each time it occurs, then it allows, um, particularly when you're looking for consistency in a skill, it allows for that. For example, if we take um, the bedtime routine or you know, thinking backwards from sleep, people often uh, complain about sleep and the fact that their children aren't getting a good night's sleep. Mm. And one of the biggest factors um, with, pe- with children being fatigued, in fact, with all individuals being fatigued, is looking at whether they're getting enough sleep. And, and the, the key there is whether they're getting to bed early enough. If you want your children to be going to bed at the same set time every night, what they need preceding that is a really clear bedtime routine. That starts, you know, an hour to, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before bed, which is again made up of, and I'll just share our own family's routine, something like, um, again, pack your bag ready for school for the next day so that everything is in it and you can check that off. Again, depending on the age of kids in the family, some will need more or less help with that than others. Uh, Go and do what we call just teeth toilet PJs. they, the, our children have so, a family book. Sorry, just to jump in there. That, yeah. So that's a nice grouping, a logical yes. grouping. Yes, absolutely. So uh, explain why would you do that? Because it's easy for a child to remember that when it's in that sort of cluster of three okay. like that. And they all go together, don't they? So do your right. teeth, use the, t- use the toilet and go put your pajamas on. Okay. And it's sort of a logical grouping, as you said, but the way that you deliver that in that cluster makes it easy for a child to remember those three things. Right. Um and so from then, my, our, or our children have a family book, um, so they all sit together and we read to them, or one of us reads to them. And then they have, in our family, we, we pray, so they have prayer at bedtime, and then they go off to sleep. So again, because we want them to have a consistent time for sleep, we start that routine 
45 minutes to 60 minutes before the sleep time. And we go through those activities in the same order every night so that they don't need to be reminded about the various components of the routine. Um, And there's less, again, fighting and getting frustrated about the fact that children aren't getting off to bed and aren't staying in bed and all those sorts of things that go with the bedtime routine typically and cause frustration. Yeah, and I think another good thing to point out there is is that between dinner and then beginning that routine, Mm -hmm. there are no screens, there is no TV, there's Not in our routine, there's not. And and I think, you know, generally clinical psychologists like myself and indeed other, you know, other medical professionals, uh, paediatricians, et cetera, would highly recommend against children having screen time in the hour at least or two before they go off to bed Mm. anyway. Um, But the point about discipline there is, you know, that could be applied to really anything. If you want your child to develop consistency with a skill, like if you want them to develop a more consistent um, skill level with their music, let's say they're learning piano, for example, or with practicing for a sport at the moment, our eldest son is in a basketball team and so he needs to practice his shooting. But having a routine around those activities um, in that it's done at the same set time each day or you know every other day and even for the activity itself that there's a routine in how it's implemented for example music practice might consist of if it's piano practice mm. um you know five or ten minutes worth of doing scales on the piano right. and then five or ten minutes spent on a particular component of a piece that the child may be working on or practicing mm-hmm. and then maybe five or ten minutes with something that's more free or they can ad lib or relax and play something that they wish etc um but when it's the same style or same order each time they go to practice it builds discipline it builds order for them and that leads to more competency and more consistency with the skill that they're working on right and i think that then if anyone's thinking that the discipline is somehow going to stymie creativity it is not because the child will be able to flourish within the discipline and actually be able to be creative and and enjoy the creativity because they've they have that uh particularly say learning piano, is that they are going through that set routine each time in that lesson. So yes, that makes a lot of sense. That is an excellent point. Um, efficiency. Mm-hmm. How does a routine make things more efficient when they're so rigid? So, <laughs> well, because you don't need to nag, basically. Right. You know, as a parent, if you're spending all day chasing children around the house or teenagers, trying to get them to you know clean their room, move from here to there, transition from one task to another, get to homework, start you know, unpacking bags after school, etc., and you're constantly chasing them through those, then that wastes a lot of time because mm. each of those moments of interaction or negative interaction potentially, most likely, um, is, you know, becomes an individual fire that you then have to put out yeah. multiple times through the day. Mm-hmm. When there's an established routine, you don't need to do that. It, the routine basically becomes another way of saying, well, this is just what happens in this house. This is just the way we do things here. There's an implicit or a, you know an underlying message that the child gets that you don't really need to state because the routine is there. Um, and that takes all of the need for nagging and, and the child coming back to you and saying, oh, you know, well, why do I have to blah, blah, blah? Because you can simply refer to the fact that, 
well, this is the way we do things here. This is the yeah. established routine. Um, so all they're really arguing about, against is the routine as opposed to you, the parent, delivering an instruction, which is a very different scenario yes. in terms of parent-child interaction. Okay. Yeah, taking the heat out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else do you have for us? Um, so th- the next aspect after efficiency that's beneficial from a routine is that it creates a framework to teach a skill. And this is something that I really love about the broader sense of mm. routines. I'm not talking anymore about morning routines or homework routines, etc. I'm talking about the way, a way of using the concept of a routine or the same way of doing the same activity each time to teach even really small children from as young as six months um, early skills and it enhances their early development when you use routines. So, for example, if we think about um, Joachim, our now 14-month-old, mm-hmm. from as young as when he was six months old, six months old, and I know, I, again, this is very well supported in the literature, looking at um, early intervention and early education for really small children, even those children who've got some sort of developmental difficulty, mm. using routines to teach things like language, first words, early motor skills like climbing, um, cognitive, early cognitive development, completing puzzles, um, routines around skills like feeding and self-care can all be taught in, in the, using a routine. Mm. So I'll use Joey as an example. Please. Joachim, who we refer to as Joey or Jojo. So for Jojo, who's 14 months, when he was 13 months, Um, Obviously, he was moving around the house now that he could toddle a lot faster and that was causing some concern because there's some sets of stairs in our home. Yes. So we started to, at that point, teach him how to go safely down the stairs Mm. with some help initially, but eventually the idea to be on his own doing that. Not not unsupervised, but independently whilst there's an adult watching him. Correct. So we started that process by initially the routine was to physically prompt him, show him the right place to put his hands, the right place to put his feet, where his belly should go as he's trying to move mm. his body down the stairs. So with adult physical you, assistance. physically handling Correct. down the stairs. Yes. And as we did that, we, we paired that with words like hands down, leg first, mm. tummy down, for example. Mm. Now, he doesn't necessarily know what those words mean in and of themselves at that stage, but over time, hearing the same pairing of words with the same physical prompting every time he comes to a set of stairs and we try and follow through and be there every time he comes to a set of stairs, Mm. then that becomes a routine for him about climbing the stairs or going up and down the stairs. That in and of itself is a routine. Yes. And within that routine, because it happens so frequently and it's always paired with that language in that way, then he starts to learn how to become more independent So we get to the point then when he's not 13 months, but maybe 14 months, which he is now, where we can start to take away the physical prompts. So that level of scaffolding or support, if you Mm. like, can be reduced. And we're observing that he now can put his hands down in the right place without being told. Mm. So we've built some independence in his ability to move up and down the stairs. In fact, he's more independent than that now. He can actually go down the stairs on his own. Yes. And although he doesn't understand or have the capacity to say hands first or legs first or legs down, yes. he's actually articulating some sounds now 
as he does that. So he's learned that there are words or sounds for him that go with those movements. And over time, again, the goal would be, or what what is most likely to happen is he will start to actually articulate those words like legs or hands or down as initial words that might come with that activity. In the same way that when we've taught him or when I've taught him um, through feeding from six months of age, when do we give kids solids? Six months of age on. Um, that's what sort of, I think the recommended guideline is. So When you get to four, you don't worry about the guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But uh, for children, yes, that's true. But we did, I think we started a bit early in six months. But anyway, so from six months of age, if you're sitting and you've got the baby in the high chair and you're trying to give them some food, again, words like more or the labels of the food that they're eating or want some or yes. any of those things may not in and of themselves be particularly meaningful. But when they're constantly paired with a particular action, like holding up the spoon and looking in an anticipatory kind of way at the child and saying more like a question and waiting for the child to even vocalize or give you eye contact or look at you in some way. And when they do delivering the food as a response to that Mm. bid for attention from the child, when you do that every single time, that becomes a routine. And then eventually you start to see that the child will look and vocalize as a way of bidding for attention and some food. Or they might even start to say the first sound of the word more once they're, you know, nine and up to, you know, kind of 12 months of age. They might go, hmm, or make a sound that sounds very similar to the word more, like mo or whatever it might be, something more open-ended in terms of their sounds. So that only happens because they have learned through the same activities going together at the same time over and over again that that's the routine. So routines are great for, you know, bedtime, homework, after school, morning, all those sorts of things. The way we run our life, you know, the way I manage my work routine, my schedule, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But they are the most incredible tool to use to actually teach children from really from early toddler years and up about yeah language motor skills self-care feeding at the moment another example with joey is you know putting a nappy on him at the moment so we've got he's so busy he wants to move around all the time we've got nappy pants for him at the moment when i bend over him and say leg in and hold the nappy over time that has become a routine where he's now lifting his leg to put it in the nappy and i'm simply holding it open ready waiting for him so the repetition and the fact that that's happening in the same way each time allows him Hmm. to show the very earliest phases of those really important self-care routines. Absolutely. And so then how how does that, uh, for children that are older, um, say with homework, how does that same methodology apply to um, homework obviously being around learning uh, something like spelling, times tables, etc.? Can you explain how that using routine correct, to using, facilitate to, to facilitate that act, not not the act of now now is the time for homework yeah but uh, let's say learning times tables so let's just focus on that one thing how do you how do you create that scaffold yeah absolutely for an so, older child exactly so so again whatever routine or scaffold you choose to use mm. you playing sort of playing with the semantics around the word routine mm. whether there's for example a you know well let's take our 10 year old because he's learning times tables at the moment yes. so keep it really yes. practical so for him we might uh, have a routine 
in the car. I do have a routine in the car going to school where I'll test his timetables mm. and I'll give him a period of time within which to answer and we'll kind of treat it like a, um, a quiz show game where I go, but if he's out of time. Okay. And then we'll rehearse the ones that he's, uh, you know, a little more shaky with and then we'll go back and repeat them and, and relearn them. So, and then, and then we'll come back and I'll give him that shorter time frame again. So in that little car activity, as an mm. example, he knows that the routine is he gets given a set um, type of timetable. So let's say we're driving to school and I say, okay, today we're going to do the four times tables. So I deliver them in no particular, in random order. Whenever he uh, misses the allocated time period, let's say I give him three seconds to answer. If he's longer than three seconds, he gets up. But he knows that he's then going to rehearse that with me several times. And then he knows that that gets embedded back into the original activity. We go through it again in random order. So that in and of itself is the routine that we have just in the car trip in the morning for practicing his times tables. We don't do it every day, but, you know, every now and then we will do that. In learning more broadly, in, you know, sitting down when children want to sit down to homework um, and work through their homework, Mm. using routines is is valuable there, not just that there is, you know, do um, maths tonight and do English tomorrow, etc., but teaching them the value of how to create something like a list and cross off as they go through their homework routine. So working with them and explaining, again, this is for older primary school age children or even certainly for teenagers, but teaching them how to uh, make a list of the tasks that they have to do, put that list into some kind of order of priority, mm-hmm. then allocate time frames to the activities that are ordered in that list, and then have a way of crossing off as they go. So for our eldest child who's nearly 10, at the moment, as he completes a homework activity, he starts with a kind of in tray and moves it to an out tray. So there's a starting pile and he physically lifts it and puts it in a finished pile. So for him, there's a very concrete and visual way that he's seeing that the routine is, um, he's progressing through the routine. And in and of itself, that is a little routine, that movement, Mm. um, the repetition of doing all of that. For an older child, it may just simply be a written list that they cross off and they feel a sense of completion as they get through that task. So we use routines in um, ordering activities, in the way we deliver an activity for learning, like the times table example. Mm-hmm. Um, we use routines in how we even set up an activity to be completed successfully. Um, the homework routine in our house, again, if I think of Fred, our eldest, we have worked out a routine in terms of when different activities are or different learning subjects are completed. So he knows that Monday night is the night that he does as much of his schoolwork as he possibly can. His school homework, almost all of it gets done, um, except for spelling, because spelling has a little bit to do each night. Uh, Tuesday, he knows that there's nothing on because he plays a sport after school. Wednesday, he does the next bit of spelling uh, Thursday, he does some revision for spelling tests that may be coming up and we do a little bit of um, like a learning project. So we have, uh, in fact, sorry, that's on Wednesday, got the day, days wrong, but we have something that we call an I wonder list. And mm. we use that as a kind of interest or a little project, a five minute, 10 minute project for the kids. They have a list where they write down things that they're wondering about, maybe their scientific questions. We've had questions on that list like, um, my Xavier, our second eldest, wanted to know what's Vegemite made out of. Mm. Um, you know, they've had questions about 
you know, how does thunder come about, those sorts of things, things that they just are very interested in. And we would use the I wonder period in the evening um, on whatever night that falls. Yep to explore, um, you know, with the internet, with a book, doing some research for five or 10 minutes together, and then talking about what we've discovered. So that falls into our, if you like, homework routine, although it's not strictly homework from school, but it's something that is occurring in the homework period on a particular night of our weeknight of our weeknights yes so the children know what's happening every night they know that it's the same every week and they operate more independently because everything is the same every week like that absolutely so uh wrapping it up yes so i think the last um benefits really having discussed all of those uh examples and advantages uh are the fact that these routines then build competence they build um, independence and they build self-confidence because children are able with repetition to learn the routine, to move smoothly through it, to then eventually move independently through it without assistance um, and then to feel confident because they are developing skills by doing that and they get a sense of mastery over whatever the skill is that mm. they're working on as simple or as complex as that may be. Um, And that ultimately provides a pathway to achieving their goals, whatever goals they might set for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose one really great example of, of, again, I I said at the start, I was really excited about talking about Mm. routines, which maybe makes me very uh, mundane kind of person. But um, nonetheless, different things excite different people, don't they? So (laughs) so, uh, there was an example which just highlighted to me how valuable routines are and how much we actually rely on them for confidence, for a sense of stability, for a sense of achieving goals and, and purpose. Yes. And that was um, looking back, I, I can't remember why I was even looking at this, but uh, looking back on the Chilean miners who were in a mine that then collapsed. This was over 10 years ago now. And at the time, it took, I think, three months to get them out of the mine. So they were there for 17 days before they were even discovered. Mm. And then once they were discovered, it was another three to four months of drilling, um, of drilling, you know, almost 24, 24 seven to get them out freely, uh, safely. And in that time, the, the leader of the group of miners um, discussed afterwards that he set up really clear routines for each of the miners Mm. during the time that they were underground in order to give them a sense of purpose, to give them something to focus on, to concentrate on, to give them a sense of meaning each day. Um, And it was routines like, you know, for them it was helping with mapping or shifting rocks or taking turns to do various activities. Mm. Um, But And there was even a routine around their eating where none of them ate until everyone's food had been delivered down. So these were things that were done in order to keep the group basically sane Mm. through what was an absolutely horrendous ordeal. Incredible. So, you know, imagine waiting for four months to be freed from, you know, underground Mm. and coping. And what really allowed them to do that was the fact that they had routines in place, which, Mm. which helped their mental health. So the biggest point, I think, um, you know, in those other advantages I just listed is ultimately it is all about, again, helping families thrive, the benefits to mental health or mental well-being for kids and teenagers. And that really is the value of routine. Excellent. Um, Are there any uh, areas where we need to be careful with routines? Uh, Any warning 
warnings you made? Yeah, I think, you know, not wanting to sound, um, you know, like I have no flexibility or spontaneity mm. whatsoever, um, it is important that you be creative at times as well and that there is room for spontaneity. But as we said earlier, that's only easy to implement when there are established routines and mm. then you can put transitions and, and fun and downtime and creativity and all of that sort of zest into life. Mm. Um, it's also really important that you review routines, that, you know, things become, um, you know, stale sometimes after a while or less relevant mm. depending on the age of the child. So either of those can be factors that need to be reviewed. In our own household, we started off the new school year with, uh, you know, a sense of a bit of chaos, you know, who's going where and yes. when, who's got what extracurricular activities on where this year and what times are they and all of that. And that took mm. a few weeks before we were able to actually literally write out mm. a routine for all of the kids with, you know, who's got library when, who's got sport when, who's doing music when, who's finishing school at what time, um, you know, all of those sorts of things, who's picking up who, who's getting the bus, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then once we did that, we put that into a little um, Excel spreadsheet mm. and then we reviewed it a few weeks later. And, uh, you know, with the first few weeks, we actually wrote little notes on it to say, you know, this needs to change here, this needs to move here, th- you know, we've got to adjust this time, et cetera, et cetera. And then just slightly shifted the routine accordingly, you know, who's doing homework on what nights and what homework are they doing, all that sort of stuff. So I think the the thing to think about is just be open to reviewing routines. Once mm. they're set up, it's not so rigid that you just absolutely can't change them. You have to be flexible as well yes. and look at what's being effective and what's not yeah. and then adjust accordingly. Okay, excellent. Right, well, thank you very much um, for going uh, deeply into routines. Um, now, a recap of a recent Facebook post about the COVID-19 coronavirus yes. Um, so can we uh, use this time just to recap that uh, and give you an opportunity just to uh, – people can look at the Facebook post at, at any centre on, yes. on Facebook. But um, in your own words, uh, again, what what's the essence of the message about coronavirus you want to give to families? Yes, and I, I spoke about this um, very briefly on radio um, during the week on 2GB, and that was because I was listening and a caller rang in and – was talking about, I think it was his son, and the Mm. fact that they they suffer with anxiety anyway, but they had been at the hospital over the weekend in an absolute, you know, full-blown anxiety attack, you know, a panic attack, worrying about health and what is happening. And there are children and teenagers who do have what we call health-related anxiety or generalised worries, and one of their areas of worry is health. And with all of this going around at the moment, you know, watching people take, um, you know, strip the shelves of toilet paper, Mm. pasta, rice, and and you name it, or, you know, listen to it constantly on the news feed or see the kind of Armageddon-like descriptions that are being produced within the media, Mm. particularly the television media, um, then it is really hard for children to know exactly how bad the situation is and whether they should be very worried or not. So I think the reason why I did this Facebook post and, and, and again, then rang into um, 2GB and got, got briefly interviewed about it is because the first thing that parents really need to do is to keep calm. I mean, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but perhaps it's not so obvious at the moment in all of the hysteria that seems to be going around. But children really need to feel confident in their parents 
and in the society more broadly. And if parents are hysterical or panicky Mm. uh, or, or expressing worry in front of their children, then children will genuinely feel that there is something serious Mm. to be worried about. So you could think you're being calm, but you're actually, uh, when your partner comes home, that you're having the conversation about, hey, have we got got all these toilet paper, pasta, have we got all these different things? And then the children begin to worry. But in your world, you're having an adult to adult conversation. It might be brisk because it's busy, but the child, children could be picking up on levels of anxiety or worry or thinking, oh, what I'm seeing in the media is true. We need to go and race out and do these things. It so you've got to be that. careful about how you... You have to be careful about the tone of your conversation mm. with children and in front of children, absolutely. And I think the best thing is just to, in being calm is just speaking about facts in a matter of fact and calm way rather than in that sort of breathless oh my goodness where is it now which country has blocked its borders and quick come look at the tv yes absolutely all those sorts of things on twitter and making it uh you know making much more of the situation than what may be required Hmm. um so speaking about it in a meth yeah in a methodical and calm way will and in a confident way and so one example of that with small children is just explaining calmly to children that they have very good immunity Mm. they have very good immune systems um and so in all likelihood for a child to um you know firstly get the virus it would be less far less likely and secondly Mm. if they did they would experience you know cold maybe flu symptoms in the same way that they've possibly had flu or cold before many times and got over that just as effectively right so you know the chances of anything die happening are slim very slim indeed and 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 really that boosting their confidence and being positive or or, or talking positively about immunity and about their health and about how strong they are and how well they're able to cope Mm. when things like colds and flus come around and it's just like that. So that's the first thing, keeping calm. The second thing is about educating maybe older children and adolescents. So giving them facts rather than sitting them in front of, you know, hysterical TV news reporters and getting them to kind of, you know, ruminate over it afterwards or digest it without any kind of parent intervention. So... By facts, I mean going to, you know, responsible and fact-based websites like the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organisation, New South Wales Health for those that live in Sydney or in New South Wales, Hmm. has some very good information. There are lots of fact sheets that these websites have produced. There's great information for families that parents can either sit down alongside a child and just read and then discuss Hmm. or could read themselves and then shape or tailor the information that that, that they digest Hmm. for a child to the right developmental level and set at the right tone for that child's development. Makes a lot of sense. And then the other aspect of educating is being honest. So some parents, you know, including us, don't have all the answers um, Hmm. in terms of the complexity of this uh, virus and how fast it may be spreading and how it's spreading again through the media it's very unclear at times um, so when children come home from perhaps hearing about this at school or from other children or from other environments where they may be uh, you know participating and then ask parents these questions when you don't know it's really important to say I don't know but I'm going to find out for you and then look that up, do the research, mm-hmm. and then, again, tailor that research to the appropriate 
level of your child's development um, mm. and set it at the appropriate tone. If, if, you know, don't have the child research then with you for something you don't know, because I think as a parent, you need to have a first pass look at that information and see how appropriate it is or isn't to discuss with your child. So keeping calm, educating your children in various ways that we've just described. Mm -hmm. And then the third aspect is really just using your common sense Mm. as a parent, which sometimes is not so common. So, um, you know, again, looking at what are the ways that the virus is spreading, what are the things you can do to prevent that? There are two main ways, hygiene and boosting immunity. Mm. So boosting immunity through ensuring that you've got really good sleep habits for your children, that they're getting enough sleep, Mm. boosting immunity through making sure they're eating very healthily, fruit, vegetables, um, good vitamin C, you know, all those sorts of things. Exercise. Um, Yeah, absolutely. All those things are really important for Mm. a child's immunity to ensure that they stand the best chance for maintaining health. Mm. And then, um, you know, obviously hygiene practices, which now are all over the place in terms of, uh, you know, visuals, fact sheets online, video tube clips, you know, you name it. Sing happy birthday in your head as you're washing your hands. All that sort of stuff or just any visuals that you flow charts. Schools have them everywhere now Mm. um, if they they didn't already. But about, you know, healthy hand washing and and coughing and sneezing and and all those sorts of things. Sure. So just using common sense. So common sense, educating kids and keeping calm. Right. They're the main things. In the words of Winston Churchill, keep calm and carry on. That's exactly right. Okay. Now, um, this is actually my favorite part of the uh, of the, the <laughs> show today, which is a film review. Yes. Um, and uh, what I enjoyed about this um, particularly was is that we watched the film first mm-hmm. uh, and were able to then enjoy it and then see that this would actually be a great chil- yes. uh, film for our children. Yes. So um, I'm glad you've reviewed it um, and and uh, and are going to share it with all of our listeners. So yes. Ride Like a Girl, directed by Rachel Griffiths. So what, what do you want to talk about with this So Ride film? Like a Girl, and I chose it for this episode because we've just had, over the weekend, International Women's Day. And Ride Like a Girl is a great uh, story, you know, among other things. It's a great story about a phenomenal woman. Yes. Who um, is, it's based on the story of Michelle Payne and her quest and her dream to win the Melbourne Cup, which for those who don't live in Australia and don't have much to do with horse racing is probably one of, well, it's our most well-known horse race. It's got to be one and, of the world's uh, I think world's it's one famous. of the world's most famous horse races. Yes. So she's an Australian woman um, who grows up, grows up in uh, Ballarat and this story charts her uh, life and her various challenges through life in wanting to achieve this dream of winning a Melbourne Cup. And it's um, every jockey's dream, by the way, to win the Melbourne yes, Cup. Yes, well, absolutely, and yep. she is a jockey. So, uh, But nonetheless, she's a female jockey in what really is a male-dominated mm. uh, industry, without a doubt. So I chose it for that reason, but also because, as you said, it was a fantastic family film. Mm. So it's got some great Australian actors. It's directed oh. by uh, Rachel Griffiths. Um, Teresa Palmer, Sam Neill, phenomenal. It might be a New Zealand actor. Yes, but, yes, but we can claim it's Australian, <laughs> can't we, sometimes? We, sometimes we do. Um, Stevie Play- Payne, which is actually Michelle Payne's brother, plays himself 
in the film. He has Down syndrome mm. um, and he is incredible in this movie, actually. Magda Zabansky, Brooke Satchwell, there's a list of uh, very you know um, famous Australian actors and actresses mm. who do a brilliant job. So the story of Michelle Payne wanting to win the Melbourne Cup like any jockey would, um, she's one of ten children, single father, her mother dies when she is um, very small. And despite the fact that there's such a large family with a single parent, they're a close family and that came through really beautifully in the film that they supported each other through all sorts of challenges um and i can say you know from a little bit of personal experience that i've actually met one of michelle payne's siblings i won't say who but the strong impression you get from speaking even to her is that um they are a close family and that they do support each other and that they wish nothing mm. but the best and it was very clear in this film um that the closest of the family how supportive they were and how they backed each other through each other's trials and tribulations yes um including supporting stevie and his desire to yeah be involved in the racing industry himself ultimately to become a strapper um and um work in stables and things like that yeah. so it tracks the 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 family's life michelle's life and her challenges the way she overcomes them and ultimately this this great message of having a growth mindset and never giving up mm. which i think is wonderful for kids to see um, we talk a lot in the scientific literature and in the psychological literature about the value of a growth mindset and how important that is in achieving success but also in character developing ca- good characters um, and uh, you know resilience and all those sorts of things and this is a great film for um, highlighting just how important you know having a growth mindset you know always trying never giving up on your dreams going for it no matter what comes um how, how important that is so our children in watching this um mm. you know i wasn't sure how they were going to go because it is about horse racing and um which they don't they, they have anything nothing, to do with <laughs> they know absolutely nothing about it and we probably know even less than yeah, that that's right. um and uh and obviously they range in age as well so you know joey clearly didn't watch it the 14 month old but <laughs> Edith, who is four years old, Xavier, who's nearly seven, and Frederick, who's nearly 10, did watch it. And I can honestly say that they were completely hooked in this film. Absolutely. Um, They were on the edge of their seat. When we were turning it off, you know, we had to split the film because it reached their bedtime one night and they got to come home and watch it the next day as a treat Mm. after school. And they couldn't, they were so frustrated when we turned off the movie, understandably. Mm. Um, But they were just so engaged and engrossed in it. And then the next day when they came to watch it again, they couldn't wait. They were talking about it for the rest of the week afterwards from aspects of, you know, how did she overcome these injuries? Um, You know, just the way she kept trying, um, discussions around the relationships within the family. It was so... They could see the uh, the sibling relationships exactly. relating it to themselves. Yes. And, uh, it was, yeah, yes. Very and the other thing that was great that I loved about the film, so, so the themes of, you know, that growth mindset, that never giving up theme that I think is really wonderful for children to see, um, the, the themes of family support, um, but also the theme really of sort of awareness of disability and inclusion. Right. And I really loved that the children um, engaged with that and enjoyed that too. So mm. looking at Stevie Payne, who does have Down syndrome, and the fact that he 
also in a way in in parallel to his sister was pursuing his own desires yes um in working in a stable and working as a strapper and working for someone great mm-hmm. um in supporting his sister and in forming his own identity and his own independent you know um set of skills and you know working in his own um capacity doing a fantastic job mm. um in, and and to be respected as he was for the job that he was doing and it was great for our children to see that and to see the value of inclusiveness mm. and um you know when there is the right kind of support that people with disabilities can really thrive mm. um and do well so i thought that on so many levels this was an incredible film and um that plus the fantastic actors in it just made it a brilliant movie oh, to watch from absolutely. adults through to kids and a really excellent family film so i would rate this a nine out of ten it is an absolute, absolute must see for a family so watch this film with your family and it's uh we watched it on uh apple itunes yes. so it was released at the cinemas la- late last year yes. september 2019 yes. mm-hmm. so i'm sure it's available on dvd and there are many other streaming services now yes. but that's where we uh watched it on apple tv so uh absolutely uh ride like a girl a girl ride directed by like a girl that's directed right. by rachel griffiths uh nine out of ten Okay, uh, well, we are at the end of our show, and you have a coronavirus-themed joke, I Do see. I? Yes. <laughs> what did one elevator say to the other elevator? Oh, I do not know. I think I'm coming down with something. <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, a wrap for another episode of the Annie Centre podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, the Annie Centre website, anniecentre.com. That's centre spelt the... English way, a n i e s c e n t r e dot com, uh, Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. So uh, and also YouTube. Uh, yes. Now we've added YouTube as well. Uh, so all over social media. Um, please uh, search the hashtag Helping fam- Families Thrive. That's the hashtag Helping Families Thrive. Um, and uh, and please also. Um, ensure you leave comments, ask questions on any of those social media profiles. All right. Well, our mission is to help families thrive, and I hope with this episode tonight we have done just that. Please go to our Annie Centre Facebook page and leave a comment, um, and don't forget to review and rate the podcast using the app. All right. Thank you. The Annie Centre podcast was brought to you by Annie Centre Proprietary Limited. Please visit anniecentre.com and subscribe to receive the latest updates and digital downloads from Dr. Anne Shalfant.
they will say that they don't have time. 